Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game. My name is Kevin Day and opposite me is Kieran Maguire. Hello, Kieran. Hello, Kevin. <laughs> I'm sorry if there's, there's the reason I'm chuckling is is just as we were about to start broadcasting. Kieran, with a big smile on his face, went, "Oh, there's my spreadsheet." I've never seen a man look so happy that a spreadsheet. <laughs> he, he threatened to, to show it to me. <laughs> um, coming up, I, that just made me laugh very much, um, as Kieran always does with his amusing tales of accountancy. <laughs> Uh, in this podcast, how Premier League salaries have changed since 1993, um, prize money in the Women's FA Cup, Nike's new kit deal with Liverpool, Sunderland for sale, that might be our fault, and uh, <laughs> the price of away tickets in the Championship. So before we start, Kieran, how are you? I'm, I'm grand. Good. Tickety-boo. Oh, good. Now, um, this is, it always makes guys, our producer tells me, you've been doing some number crunching. But that's what you do. That's that's your that's your job. That's your hobby. That's your passion. It, it, it is it is more of a hobby than a job. Okay. But um, that's that you should that any other normal person would have said that the other way around. It's more of a job than a hobby. You're apologising for. So you've you've been crunching the numbers on Premier League wages. That's right. A, a fan asked me on Twitter how yeah. much have wages changed since the Premier League started. So. I got every single set of accounts for all 49 <laughs> clubs who have appeared in the Premier League of since 1992-93. The wife is away, is she? The wife, wife is away, <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, worked out the wage bill for every year through going through those accounts. And in the very first year, when we had 22 clubs in the Premier League, which yes. is something we always tend to forget, yes. um, the total wage bill was, was £97 million. Um, and if we take a look at the wage bill for the most recent season, effectively for every pound in wages that was paid in 1992-93, it's now costing clubs £315. Whoa. Which is staggering. Now, people say, well, hold on. What about inflation? Um, in- inflation's gone up by 97% since 1992. The wage bill has gone up by 3150 Goodness me. Um, so... So I, I I converted that into a little graphic and stuck that out on Twitter and it sort of because it's pretty pictures going mm. up and down people got very excited about it and then started going this is outrageous footballers don't deserve these wages but my argument has always been well if if the footballers aren't getting the money where where should the money go to you know, should it go to the administrators should it go to the football authorities should it go to the club owners because it ain't going to go to the fans. 
because we, yeah, well, I think we'll, we'll be talking about uh, ticket prices later. But we, we as fans, there's one thing to do if we think prices are too high. Just don't play them. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to how much because Palace are in the Premier League, obviously for the first the first season. Uh, and the first season only for a while. Uh, I'm trying to think how much the ticket would have been costing. I would, I'm just trying to work out what the, the the how much the rate has changed between the ticket price and the players' wages. But obviously, a staggering amount of money. However much a ticket costs, then the difference between that and how much it contributed to a player's wages is different. Because as we know yep. from this pod, it, it's minuscule the amount of money that goes through the turnstile that goes towards players' wages is it, tiny, it, isn't it? It can be as low as four percent yeah. for a club such as Bournemouth. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, what? I mean, what does it say about the Premier League then? This change, apart from the fact that it's probably grown far more quickly and more successfully than anybody ever imagined it would do at I, the time. I, I think it's it's one of our biggest and most success and, and loudest exports. Um, and on the back of that, um, if, if you compare the squads of players in nineteen ninety two ninety three to what we are what we have today, yeah. is that it is far more metropolitan. Uh, the the number of nations being represented in the Premier League has has exploded, and be- on the back of their ability to offer higher wages to to players from South America and Africa and the rest of Europe and so on, um, so it to a certain extent it's a victim of its own success in the in the sense that every time they've gone back to Sky and and the other broadcasters, Sky have said here's a load more money now. We've got the the famous Sir Alan Sugar prune juice effect. You know, he said that every time more money comes into the game, agents and players say, "Well, to, they say to the club we're in negotiations. We're fully aware." Uh, so, if you take twenty seventeen, in twenty seventeen, the the TV deal increased in value by seventy percent. So, therefore, why can't my player have a large proportion of that? And if the clubs initially say, "Well, we don't think he deserves it." Within three months, you're desperate for a new centre forward. The, the agent of that new that new player is fully aware of how much money the clubs have got. That means that he comes in at a new benchmark, and of course, the rest of the players they're knocking on the manager's door, they're knocking on the chairman's door. New contract, contract extensions, and the and the wages very quickly follow. Remind me why it's called the prune juice effect. Because well, whatever comes in goes straight out the other door. Thank you. Um, in the form of. Uh, yeah, money into players' wages. No, I, I'm guessing that back in the first year of the Premier League, 92, 93, the, the gap between Palace's wage bill and the gap between Liverpool's wage bill, for example, would be much less than it is now. Would, would that be right? Is, is the gap widened between the top clubs and the smaller clubs in terms of wages? Yes. In, in the first year, uh, Palace's wage bill was £3.8 million compared to £7.7 7 for Liverpool. In the most recent season... Um, Liverpool's is uh, well. We estimate Liverpool's. It will be around about three hundred million. They've not published their results yet. Neither of Palace, but Palace will be around about one hundred and twenty. So, so, both in percentage terms, but also uh, in, in clearly in, in value terms, that that gap of, of you know, three and a half million pounds is now closer to two hundred. Yeah, but on nine percent, so it's still it was more than fifty percent then back in ninety two ninety three. It, it was, so it was, it was half so pers- of Liverpool's wages. Yeah, so yeah, and now it's probably around about just over a third. Well, so yeah, so that, yeah, my maths is not as good as I thought it was. In. That's um, it's but it's an interesting. It, I, I find that the, the more successful the club is, the less their fans complain about players' wages. Essentially, the, the fans who tend to make the most noise about players' wages are the fans of clubs outside the Premier League who resent 
the amount of money Premier League players are getting or clubs that are struggling to stay in it tends to be it's, if if you're heading for the Champions League I should think especially Sheffield United fans at the moment are perfectly happy with however much their players are being paid and I, I, I imagine it's a much more sensible wage than the Liverpool players are getting Yes uh, as you know I, 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 uh, I work at the University of Liverpool um, I can assure you that when I'm talking to, to, to my colleagues who, yeah. who support the red half of the the, the, the football uh, life there, they've got no issue. And, and in fact, they're saying, tie these players down on longer, oh, more yeah, lucrative contracts absolutely. And, and pay them whatever it takes because the, the football they're playing is, is, as you say, if we're losing, then you resent somebody picking up 100 and great, 180 grand a week. Uh, if you're winning, you're too busy concentrating yeah. on the football. Now, um, Women's football is is not something we've talked about a lot on this pod, um, unfortunately. I hope it will be uh, in future because that will be a sign that it's getting bigger and bigger that we start to moan about the finances of of women's football. But the the Women's FA Cup has been revealed, not unsurprising, there's a huge difference in, in prize money between the Women's FA Cup and the, the Men's FA Cup, isn't it? That's right. If if you were a women's team and you you were successful in the third round of the FA Cup, you got twelve hundred and fifty quid. Holy mother, is that all? That's right. Now, if you think about, you've had to get through a few qualifying rounds to get to there. Um, if you were Ipswich and you ended up playing at Newcastle, by the time you paid for your travel expenses and accommodation, you're actually out of pocket. Um, that compares to one hundred and thirty-five thousand for winning the men's match. Um, and also, if you were chosen for by by BT or the BBC, you would have had an additional fee on top of that. So, yeah, there is a huge difference. The the the, the women's FA Cup winners will get twenty five thousand. That compares to three point six million for the men's team. Um, even the Carabao Cup, which you know, we it isn't the most glamorous of competitions, but that pays two hundred thousand pounds for uh, the, the the men's winners and there isn't an equivalent for the women's team so it, it is a huge gap um it ultimately it's driven by the money coming into the game right i was going who's financing women's football then well i mean the, the clubs themselves yeah they, they, i think the average gate is around about 800 right um but the prices charged for tickets are substantially discounted compared to men's. Um, they, they do a lot of schemes to encourage um, a new audience because I, I think they're not necessarily looking to try to get the, the people that go to watch the men's game yeah. because we've all got busy lives and fitting in two games of football yeah. live uh, over a weekend is that realistic. But there are people who don't want to pay the prices uh the, you know, the women's game i think it's 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 less hurly burly it's slightly less technical so so it's more technical in many ways um, and people in, enjoy it as a spectacle and also you've got a generation of of kids who when they grow up to be able to afford to make their own choices will probably have a difficult choice to make because women's football quite cleverly is attracting youngsters it's a safe environment for them to go and watch football so when they're 18 19 20 they may well decide to carry on and, and crowds will get bigger that that's i think that's the aim of the clubs yeah. i think there there is there is a, a danger of, of women's football ending up uh, in here in, in England in, in a similar way to the way, what we've seen in the US, where it's all about the national team. And, and at a club level, right. um, it, it's it, it's not generating the interest. Um, and you could argue it's the same with, with cricket here. 
you know, as a sport at, at a county level uh, nobody goes to watch it but people do go watch go to watch test matches and I think that's what the clubs on an individual basis that they're, they're trying to achieve um, how much are the FA putting into women's football well, they are they are funding. I think it, they're putting in. I think it's two hundred and sixty grand this year into the FA Cup competition. Right. Um, the 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 women's clubs don't publish their results, um, and they tend to be subsidiaries of of the global football clubs. Right. Okay. Um, and I suspect, and certainly the noises I hear, it is because it's it's almost impossible to break even because the attendance is relatively low. Right. The TV deal is low. But what we are seeing is that from from a national team point of view, they are picking up some some big name sponsors. So there is certainly money in being an England player. There's also an issue of a salary cap, which I think is a bit of a problem in the women's game because it has been you know, some of some of the the, more, the, the the better overseas players. It's, it makes it tougher for English clubs to recruit. I was going to ask you about that TV deal because it's uh, the BBC show highlights of women's games very late on a. Sunday night, unless there's no NFL, in which case it's mildly earlier. Is that part of the same deal as the the men's game? Is this a separate TV deal for women's football? No, it's completely separate. It um, is separate because oh, okay. it's because the WSL is is independent from the Premier League, and, and therefore it's between the Premier League and the BBC for match of the day is is, is independent. Do we know the the numbers and how much? The, that deal is worth no. It's it's not again. I think they're they're being a bit coy okay. with with regards to it, um, because I think it will be embarrassingly low. Right. Um, okay. Though it could be argued that it, it's more important to um, get get an audience. If you take a look at the the very first Premier League overseas TV deal, they they gave the games away to Hong Kong, to China, to India, to the US. And it was the best decision they ever made because it's effectively giving giving people an interest in something. And then the next time round, they said, "Well, hold on, we, we charge you a little bit more money," and so on. Um, and and now, very much Premier League TV rights are are, are the yeah, the golden goose yeah. um, of, of sports broadcasting uh, in in so many locations. And there's this ongoing discussion in women's football about whether or not to keep playing at you know, non-league grounds or to play games in the main stadium of the club they're not affiliated to. That's your spreadsheet's back again. That's my spreadsheet was just exploding there, yeah. So, and it, it seems that most women footballers you hear on radio and on TV prefer not to be rattling around Villa Park, for example, in front of 800 people. Yes, and there's there's the issue from... Um, it, it costs a lot of... It costs proportionately more money to have a big stadium open um, and then you've got the groundsman grumbling as well that you know, yeah. you know I, I want I want this for twenty five matches a season rather than fifty. Yeah. So um, uh, Liverpool they play their matches at Tranmere, Brighton play their matches at Crawley, and, and we are seeing clubs using EFL clubs um, as as the vehicle through which that their their women's team are appearing. But uh, I, I think the, the Liverpool versus Everton game, which was supposed to take place this weekend, that was postponed because of the state of the pitch. And, right. and there have been a lot of complaints, which, which is a shame because Tranmere, in my view, are one of the top tier clubs when it comes to being innovative and, and trying to involve all aspects yeah. of the local community. Yeah, we've talked about Tranmere in previous pods. And we were, we're about to talk about a massive uh, shirt sponsorship deal. Um in women's football, for example, how much would a company be... We, we know about betting companies sponsoring uh, men's football. We've had lots of talks about it. If you're a company looking to sponsor a, a women's 
football team shirts? What sort of numbers are you looking at? Well, it, it's very difficult because what, what we now have is because the likes of Nike and Adidas, they will say, we will supply everything. So to separate out the women from, from the men's in terms of the shirt manufacturing right. is quite complicated. And quite often the sponsors will want to have both men's and women's shirts because they, see, they, yeah. because they set, because whilst the women's club is separate, um, women who buy football shirts, they will often go and watch the men's team as well. Yep. And they, therefore they would probably want to have the, the, the regular shirts because it's more, more universal. So the, the numbers involved, if they are separate, we, we are talking singles or, you know, 10, t- 10 or 20,000 pounds. Um, for for a shirt sponsorship, front of shirt sponsorship deal, because the audiences simply aren't there. Now, it's it's not often you listen to the radio or watch the television, and uh, shirt supply deals are such such a big talking point. Nike and Liverpool, how how big a deal is it actually and metaphorically? Well, on on the face of it, it, it looks like it's a poor deal. Um, oh, Liber- okay, I was Li- I was not expecting that. Liverpool were. Um, they were on forty million a year from New Balance, and I think New Balance offered to up that to sixty million. But instead, um, if if the stories are true, um, instead they've gone for a deal from Nike for thirty million. Now, that intuitively seems you know some somebody's been a bit bit uh, silly uh, signing off on that. But then when you go into the small print, traditionally, when, when a shirt is sold, um, the, the club will get a 7.5% commission from, from the manufacturer for each shirt sold. What Nike have said is we will offer you 20%, and we will make Liverpool the shirt to go for in the Asian market, in the US market. Uh-huh, right. And what we're going to do is that we're going to use our, our distribution. You know, not Nike has got shops in every country around, dotted around the globe. Um, and we're going to go to markets which traditionally haven't necessarily been football orientated. So therefore, they're going to use Serena Williams. They're going to use Drake, who apparently is a pop star, uh-huh. um, to, to appeal to new audiences that wouldn't necessarily have been associated with soccer shirts. And they're going to make them... Um, you know, similar to to sort of a, a basketball shirts in in the states and, and countries of that nature, um, it, it's going to be leisure wear as much as you know. I wear a football shirt on a Saturday afternoon. I wouldn't dream of wearing it elsewhere. Yeah, let's not let's not say soccer shirt again. Okay, please, Baron. You know how much I respect <laughs> you, but let's not say soccer shirt again. How much uh, pro- there will be people shouting this when they listen to the podcast? How much profit are Nike making on each shirt? Because we know traditionally that these shirts are being made for very little money aren't they well nobody knows what the price point's going to be in respect of the shirts but what we have seen the manufacturers try to do in recent years is oh we've got a new shirt manufacturer we're going to stick up the price to another five pounds um it it shouldn't cost you more than seven or eight pounds to make a shirt because it's it's like all products it's a combination of materials labor and overhead now in terms of the overhead they're being manufactured somewhere in Asia. Mm. Um, the materials, whilst they, they say, oh, these are technical um, shirts, um, yeah, I, I can buy a technical running jersey for, for when I'm out doing running training for, for, for 20 quid. Um, and I know that somebody's made a lot of money in getting that to me. So, so all of the rest is, is just pure profit right. for somebody. Now, that's going to be a combination of Nike, the football club, 
and, and uh, you know, uh, the, the retailer, but uh, it, it is very, very lucrative. If you take a look at Nike's accounts, um, I think on every £100 worth of sales they make, they, they instantly make £43 worth of profit, and they, they include many um, sort of generic products, you know, you know yeah. sort of running wear, basketball wear, sneakers and so on, where, you, where they're not having to hand over the money uh, and be able to charge a premium for, for a, 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 a given name. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That running training you do, that'll be running, will it? Yes. Yes, yeah. For, just, 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 just so we know. And now, we, we spoke um, a couple of pods ago about um, a friend of yours, in inverted commas, somebody you've been quite animated about, uh, director at Sunderland, who was incredibly rude about Sunderland fans and their knowledge of football finances. And now, and I'm not implying for a moment this, this is linked, Sunderland are up for sale now. Yeah, Sunderland, um, they, they were... There's there's three main owners from what we can make out. There's there's a guy called Stuart Donald. From what you can make out, why is why are these things so opaque? Shouldn't we know who owns our football clubs? Well, if 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 somebody has bought or sold shares on on a small basis between two people, that won't necessarily come out into the public oh, domain. Okay. Um, but the the three main shareholders are Stuart Donald, who used to own Eastley FC, right? Um, in in the National League, he sold out. Um, just over a year ago, Charlie Methven, who was the the, the P, he is the PR man who said these rather un PR like things. Yeah. Um, he was he's been described in private eye as a Thatcher worshipping Hooray Henry. Um, <laughs> so make of that what you will. Um, and I think there's somebody from Uruguay as well um, who who is sort of behind the scenes. Um, Stuart Donald, when he first came to the club. Uh, his aim was to build the relationship 
between the fans and, and the club back up. It had turned to- quite toxic under Ellis Short. Yeah. Even though Ellis Short had stuck in 150 million quid and effectively walked away with most of that staying at the club. Um, and that worked initially. Um, you know, he appeared on the club podcasts. Mm. He, was, he was very keen to engage with fans or through the local newspaper. And I think everybody thought that Sunderland would have been promoted last season. Yeah. They, they lost to Charlton in the playoffs. And this season, things haven't been great, although results have picked up recently. Um, he's uh, he, he's, uh, he's cancelled his account on Twitter. He's battening down the hatches. Um, is this due to fan pressure? Well, I think fan fans have been quite vocal, right. um, as as fans will always of be course. when results are poor. Um, and he's now reached the stage where he says, um, "Well, I don't think I'm wanted here anymore, and therefore I'm going to put the club up for sale." And when he was asked, um, well, "Do you intend to make a profit on this?" He's sort of going, "Well, well, I, I don't think I should make a loss. Do you?" Um, so. The rumour is, and I'm, I'm picking this up from sort of going on to, to Sunderland fan websites, and also uh, one of my colleagues is a big Sunderland fan at work. Um, the rumour is he effectively bought the club for around about 15 million, and he's looking to, to double his money, uh, at least from the sale. Um, which uh, will... for, Forgive me for interrupting, but considering some of the numbers we've banded about for club sales, that doesn't seem a lot for a club the size of Sunderland and the potential size of Sunderland. Well, I think that was the amount of money he put in. Right. But also, again, you're 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 relying here on what you see and hear in the press. Um, the the parachute payments uh, mainly went to Ellis Short. So, whilst Ellis Short will end up with seventy or eighty million pounds, of which Stuart Donald probably only put in around about fifteen, but he's looking to sell it for right. for thirty to forty. Will he Which, be able to do that? Is it a viable proposition? As a, as a League One club, I, th- I think that would be a, a fair price. I mean, I, I I did a valuation of Charlton for somebody a few few months ago, just after they'd been promoted, and I, I valued Charlton, who'd just gone up to the Championship at around about twenty five. Now Sunderland, the, the pluses are they've got a bigger fan base. Um, the downside is that they're not in London, yeah. but I, I still think that if, you, if you're getting the Stadium of Light and if you're getting the training facilities thrown in, yeah, thirty million pounds would be a a fair price with no debt and, and no no strings attached. And it's, it's whether the strings are attached. You know, if if, uh, if Stuart Donald says, I want £30 million plus, if they go up into the Premier League within five years, I want another £30 million, things start to get a bit more complicated. Is there a standard procedure for valuing a club? Is there a template? Is it like an estate agent valuing a house? Are there certain tick boxes that you, you look at? Is, or is it? can you not compare club to club? Um, it, it, is, it is very difficult um, because it's a bit like if you were comparing your house to, to you know, using a estate agent, um, the most important thing's location. So you know, yeah. here we are in where you live. That's going to be different South to yeah. um, you know, South London is different to Stoke. It is different to the northeast. Right. Um, so so that's that's certainly a factor. Um, and then you'd say, well, hold on. You know, the capacity of the ground is far bigger. Does that include the training facilities? How quickly do we need to replenish? You know, how tatty is the ground? Because sometimes you are yeah. you are acquiring a, a glorified dump. And are, are the players included in this valuation as assets, or the the, the the players are included? But the trouble is, if you sell a player, you've got to replace him. So 
there's there's no there's no huge benefit, but certainly the value of the squad would be something that you would take into consideration. Um, so you, whilst you buy you buy the players, sorry, whilst you buy the club, you buy all of the assets of the club, and that will include all the player registrations, um, which again you. you you start going into some very complex things yes, because Marcus Rashford, how much did he cost Manchester United? So yeah. his value in the, according to the accountants, oh, it's zero. Uh, ah, you, of course, of course. Um, yeah. So it, things like academy and so on are actually very difficult to value. Now, this last subject is one that's um, almost out of nowhere on social media started to really energise people. And it's the price of away tickets in the championship. Essentially. Now, in the, in the Premier League, there's a £30 cap. Um, you can tell me whether that's a voluntary cap or whether that's uh, compulsory by the Premier League. But why? We've seen Championship clubs charging way more than that for away fans. Does that make sense financially? Is it not a false economy because it will drive away fans to not go to games? Presumably, it it does seem to be a false economy. It certainly creates an awful lot of resentment. And what you tend to find is that the fans will often boycott that particular club in terms of buying catering and uh, you know, other goods um, it, it's created an awful lot of ill feeling it's, yeah. it's not all clubs I think uh, I think Reading have got a, a £10 or £20 limit I think Swansea are very cheap as well but you've got the likes of Leeds United um, I think the last time I went there they were asking 45 quid for a walk up right. um, I think it was £39 or £35 if, you, if you'd bought the ticket in advance Sheffield Wednesday, they they have tiered pricing for away fans instead of a, a flat fee. Um, and they say the reason why they charge Leeds fans £39 is because Leeds charge them 35 So you get into this sort of petty tit-for-tat um, argument between clubs. But it, under normal circumstances, you, you wouldn't pay more for a Ford Mondeo than a Jaguar. And you know, Comparing the Premier League to... To the championship, it, it does seem um, a bit daft. Um, Premier League clubs have agreed to this thirty-pound limit. Some clubs are cheaper than that. I think Arsenal is, is only twenty-six, yep. um, uh, and club owners, I think, have reluctantly have gone along with that. Football Supporters Association they've got their their twenties plenty yep. campaign, which has has been heard to an extent. Uh, so, so that's where we are at present. But it. it it does seem very harsh if if you're if you're travelling half the length of the country, um, you've got all of those costs on top, and, and to be charged more than thirty pounds for watching second tier football, yeah. and if you win, you'll, you'll forget it. Yes, yeah, of it's course. a bit like we were yeah, saying with yeah. with players' wages. But if uh, you know, Leeds are playing good football this season, their argument is that the away fans are on the. Uh, they're on the stand along, which runs alongside the ground. Sort of, you know, sort of, you're, you're, you're effectively in line with the the penalty box. Now they say, well, we charge our fans who turn up thirty nine pounds. So why should we charge away fans uh, le- yeah. a lower price? Well, Leeds fans aren't having to travel two hundred miles. Yeah. Well, also I suppose their logic is that for every away fan who doesn't turn up, they can expand the home. <laughs> they can. <laughs> What, the, what was that? That was that was Siri. That was Siri. What is, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a professional. I can bounce back from an interruption like that. It's like when the doorbell went earlier on, which you won't hear because it will be edited out. Um, I wish I hadn't mentioned that, but leave that bit in, guy, because it's a bit of real life. Because I mean, Leeds know that if they they'll just make the away bit slightly smaller and sell the tickets to home fans, don't they? Or, or what, are, what are the rules in terms of the actual percentage a club needs to offer? Do, do they have to let away fans in at all? 
Um, I think the the agreed rule, it's the lower of 10% of capacity or 3,000. Right. So certainly that that is certainly the rule in the Premier League. So if you go to Bournemouth, I think they sell um, 1,100 tickets. If you go to Old Trafford, it's it's the 3,000 cap. I I don't tell my dad how much it is to get into Palace these days because he's an elderly gentleman. He he wouldn't compute. He stopped going. I remember. I can't remember what season it was, but we bowled up first day of the season. It had gone up to five quid to get in. And he, oh, lordy! He turned on his heels and went home. <laughs> Said he wasn't paying that to get in. He gave me the money to get in the junior entrance, but um, he's he's gone the occasional time in an executive box, and I've been given free tickets. But otherwise, they, I mean, this is part of the reason for this pod is that I mean, even our generation of fans. I mean, it's, it's the fact that we're saying thirty quid's all right for an away game is ludicrous, really, isn't it? It's, well, that's right. If, if you if you take a look at the numbers, um, I think it was BBC did some research, and um, I think over half of the clubs in the Premier League could give the tickets away for free, yeah. and the clubs would still break even. Yeah, it's, but also, I mean, I've heard clubs say this before. It's like if you want to go and see Les Mis, you'll pay seventy quid for a, a, a top view, but. Yeah, you haven't, like you say, you haven't paid under quid on a train ticket to get to see Les Mis, and right. it's warm and dry in Les Mis, and you're also guaranteed two and a half hours of entertainment, which isn't going to end in you losing three points, basically. And, and you don't go and see Les Mis 19 times a year. Absolutely. Well. Yeah, some, well, I know somebody who probably would do, given half a chance. <laughs> um, that's it for this uh, edition of The Price of Football. We're back on Monday with our usual listeners questions uh, i hope you enjoyed it it's been adaptive production remember to leave good reviews where you leave good reviews um questions can be sent to us at questions at price of com, and we'll see you soon cheerio the price of football. I'm for the